this summer. Your local movie theater transforms into a tent revival for sharing Jesus. Join believers nationwide for the Million Souls campaign, inviting unsaved loved ones to experience The Firing Squad, a new evangelistic movie starring Kevin Sorbo and Cuba Gooding Jr. Witness the true story that made worldwide headlines, American prisoners discovering faith in Christ while awaiting execution for their crimes in a third world country, transforming their lives and the entire prison in the process. After the movie and before the credits roll, Kevin Sorbo will come on the screen to lead the entire theater in a prayer to commit one's life to Jesus Christ. Visit FiringSquadFilm.com and learn how to get free tickets and more for your unsaved loved ones and become part of this unique event. Bring friends, family, and your faith. Learn more at FiringSquadFilm.com. That's FiringSquadFilm.com. Stu, highlight of today's podcast has to be your return. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Glenn Beck is back. Wow, it was that bleak. Yeah, huh? it was. Yeah, it was yesterday. It was, <laughs> it was very a, dark period. really um, a really great show today. We defined fascism for the left and the media. Talked a little bit about uh, Elon Musk. Had Nikki Haley stop by. A lot of good stuff on today's podcast, which, by the way, is brought to you by Relief Factor. If you're one of the millions of Americans who suffer every day from pain, listen up. There is hope, and it comes in the form of Relief Factor. Every day on the radio, I I read testimonials from real-life people just like you that have tried Relief Factor for their pain and got their life back. I know it can happen firsthand because it happened to me. I didn't think I would be able to go on with the pain. It's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. This is what my life is going to be like for the rest of my life. I started taking Relief Factor because my wife forced me to do it. Um, I didn't think it would work, and it it did. I still take it today, three or what was it, three or four years later. Relief Factor. Your day is challenging enough as it is. Just please try to get out of pain. Just try Relief Factor for the three-week quick start, 1995. 70% of the people who try it for three weeks go on to order more. It's a drug-free, natural way to get your life back. It's relieffactor.com. Relieffactor.com. Thank you so much for filling in for me yesterday. Uh, it uh, I had horrible allergies uh, last week, and they turned into something with my vocal cords. And I've got the weeniest vocal cords in the world. Uh, and um, it took a couple of days off, and I feel much better today. So thank you for that. Yeah, welcome uh, back. Thank you. Uh, boy. There's a lot you missed. What? Oh, I know. And we've got a lot on the plate. And I just I want to start with this. And I don't want to make this self-serving. I want to make sure that this is understood, that we are we are um, making sure that everyone understands basic terminology, basic systems of government. And you uh, can come out with the absolute facts and you decide which is which. Okay. Uh, the Washington Post came out yesterday with a story. Glenn Beck is resurrecting rhetoric that is long falsely targeted Democratic presidents. Uh, this is strangely after what? 12 weeks out? 15 weeks out? The book on uh, the uh, Great Reset? 
The Washington Post has decided to not do a book review because it's pretty clear the guy didn't read the book. Um, But it's not a book review. It's instead an attack on me again, calling me Father Coughlin, which I. (laughs) Oh, if anybody but you progressives knew who he was, it would be so effective. But only you guys know who he is because you gave birth to him. Anyway, uh, the Washington Post says, according to the right wing commentator, Glenn Beck, President Biden is a fascist. In his latest book, Beck and co-author Justin Haskins warned that Biden is aligned with a cabal of international elites plotting to create a new kind of fascism that resembles Nazi era controls on businesses in Germany. How is Biden promoting this takeover? As far as Beck and Haskins are concerned, it's through his Build Back Better economic plan. Isn't that ridiculous? Those are just efforts to combat climate change and coronavirus mask and vaccine mandates. Is that what the Build Back Better plan is? Because I think the people... You know, maybe all around the world involved in the economic forum, let's say the um, prime minister of Japan, who also ran on his build back better plan or the build back better plan that uh, Boris Johnson ran on. I don't think it's about mask mandates, but maybe that's just me. This alleged plot. No, it's not an alleged plot. It's right there. If you read the book, you'd see the about 50 page of fine print uh, uh, footnotes quoting them. You're not having to look at a conspiracy theory or anything. I'm just quoting WhiteHouse.gov, Treasury.gov, WEF.org. That's all I'm doing. So it's not really my theory. Anyway, it would uh, the alleged plot would probably surprise Biden. Biden is surprised every day. He still wakes up. Uh, His support for labor unions, increased corporate taxes and higher minimum wage are widely opposed by the very same bankers and big businesses that Beck and Haskins assert are backing the fascist scheme. This guy has this guy is living in 1972. He has no idea what's happening in the current business world or he's just he's either a useful idiot Or he's a propagandist. Uh, Even if Beck claims don't make sense. They don't make sense. How do they not make sense? That's weird. You know, it doesn't make sense that it's the number one best-selling book in the nation has been for weeks. And yet I'm 15 on the New York Times bestseller (laughs) list. That doesn't make sense. The uh, Fox News host is the sixth most popular talk radio show in the country. Wow. Actually, I think I'm 15th in the New York Times, and I believe I'm 12th in talk radio. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Equally important, Beck is tapping into deep historical vein of conservative thinking. Right-wing media used remarkably similar and sometimes even harsher rhetoric against Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the 1930s. Conservative commentators frequently compared Roosevelt to the tyrannical Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, and Joseph Stalin, who were terrorizing their countries and menacing the world during his presidency. First of all, you wouldn't know that Joseph Stalin was terrorizing his people because the New York Times 
was covering up all of the atrocities. The New York Times was saying that Stalin was great. Time Magazine, Mussolini, he's great. So before we move on, let's figure out what fascism actually means. Now, from um, Merriam-Webster, you have a political philosophy, a movement or regime such as that as the fascisti. Uh, that exalts nation and often race above the individual and stands for centralized autocratic government headed by a dictatorial leader, severe economic and social regimentation, and forcible suppression of opposition. Okay, who's suppressing the opposition? Who's the one calling parents who stand up and say, I don't think this should be taught. Who's the one defining them as terrorists? Who's the one that says now, I love pesos. What a joke. By the way, have you seen his new building in Virginia? The the new it's again, phallic shaped. I don't know what the deal is with this guy, but it's more like a pig. Uh, It's like a, anyway, um, (laughs) so I don't know what it is about these guys where they seem to miss. In fact, just yesterday, do we have uh, Jen Psaki on um, on Twitter and how we really should. Are we going to still talk to these people? Are we still going to make lists of who should be banned and not? Listen. The Surgeon General has said that misinformation about COVID amounts to a public health crisis. Yeah. I'm wondering, regardless of ownership, would the White House be interested in working with Twitter like it has in the past to continue to combat this kind of misinformation? Um, or are we in a different part of the pandemic where that kind of partnership is no longer necessary? Well, I think we engage regularly with all social media platforms about steps that can be taken. Ah. That has continued, and I'm sure it will continue. Uh, but there Stop. are also reforms. Stop. What is she saying? What is she saying? We contact social media regularly, and they have said it in the past, to give them lists of names of people that should not be taken seriously, and maybe the algorithm should be changed. By the way, Stu, did you see I gained 100,000 followers on Twitter just last night? Isn't that crazy? Isn't that nuts? No, I did not see that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. People all over the country, conservatives, are finding that their Twitter numbers just went up overnight. Hmm. Huh. It's really weird. Anyway, fascists believe. Now, this is according to Wikipedia. Now, tell me. This is Wikipedia. Remember, run by Marxists. Okay. This is Wikipedia. Help me out, Stu, Mm -hmm. on what you think maybe uh, the Washington Post is missing here. Uh, Fascists believe that liberal democracy, let me define that, liberal uh, democracy means people who believe in the maximum amount of freedom before anarchy. Okay. It's not uh, like liberal in our current political no, sense. No, that this was FDR mm-hmm. that changed that. Mm-hmm. Okay, he changed it to get rid of the constitutional argument. So a liberal democracy is what I believe in. Okay, um, the fascists believe that a liberal democracy is obsolete. Now, which side is it that says 
ah, that's an old dusty document. The founders, you know, are irrelevant. All of the Constitution is irrelevant. Who is that? Second sentence, they regard the complete, listen to this, they regard the complete mobilization of society under a totalitarian one-party state as necessary to prepare a nation for armed conflict and to respond effectively to economic difficulties. Now, how many times have you heard them say, global warming, this is a war? How many times have you heard the Biden administration say about the Great Reset that this is going to be a war that lasts for decades? Why is he saying that? Because he needs to, let's see, complete mobilization of society under a totalitarian one-party state. Does anybody doubt? Does anybody doubt that the fascists, or I should say the progressives in either party, wouldn't mind offing the other party and just say, yeah, it's all Republicans and all Democrats. You'd have a few Republicans but you'd have the majority of the Democrats. You'd certainly have AOC and Bernie and everybody else. Okay. Uh, they also say a fascist state is led by a strong leader. Okay. They got me there. Okay. Uh, and martial law government composed of the members of the governing fascist party to forge national unity and maintain a stable and orderly society. I would say that that's what happened during COVID. Uh, fascism rejects assertions that violence is automatically negative. Huh. Isn't that weird? Like violence on January 6th was negative, but violence for BLM was not negative. They view political violence and war as a means that can achieve national rejuvenation. Hmm. Mark my words, that's going to become very important this fall. It might even happen after the Supreme Court issues all of its rulings. They are going to go bat crap crazy. And I believe they're going to just try to burn this whole thing down. They also advocate a national economic self-efficiency through protectionist and economic interventionist policies. What have you been hearing lately? The lie from them. This global thing is not working. We've got we've to really come back to our nation. I mean, I'm saying that for common sense. But what they're saying is that's why we have to globalize even more through the Great Reset. They're using the terminology, but they're saying, but we're going we're gonna to globalize even more. We're just going to cut half the globe out. Um, they, uh, the extreme authoritarianism and nationalism often manifests a belief in racial purity or a master race. Now, I think the fascist, that's why the book says 21st century fascism, not 20th century, because the fascists then were saying Jews. And by the way, Fascism doesn't always include race, doesn't. It often leads to that because people are 
uh, generally evil that want to ro- rule everybody's lives um, and uh, generally nuts. And so they have to get rid of people. And so they just get rid of more and more people. Anyway, you don't have to do that. But it also depends on who the fascist is. Hitler was crazy nuts, hated the Jews. So he blamed it on the Jews. That generally comes from a socialist standpoint. You know, Marxism, hatred of the Jews kind of goes hand in glove. But Mussolini didn't. Mussolini didn't hate the Jews. In fact, he really, really uh, despised Hitler for that. And you know what's weird? Is it's almost like, let me read this again. Uh, the extreme authoritarianism and nationalism of fascism often manifest in a belief of racial purity and a master race. Kind of like white people are bad no matter what they do. And black people or people of color are good no matter what they do. So we've lost all reason and we've lost Martin Luther King's idea of race doesn't matter. Who's pushing that race matters and that there's a bad race? Who's pushing that? Is that the left or is that the right? Hmm. Uh, Also, uh, fascist regimes have been led to commit genocides, massacres, forced sterilization. Who? Was that the left or the right? Was that the liberal democratic person or was that the progressive that did the... I don't know what you're missing, Washington Post, other than logic, facts, history. But it's good to know that I must be getting under your skin. I must have, for you to get a call to say, hey, would you write something on this book? Uh, For you to get that call from, I don't know who your overlord is. It must mean that this is causing them some problems. And I would just like to say, the book is available wherever you buy books. You can get it online or go to glensnewbook.com and get it. It's called The Great Reset, Joe Biden and 21st Century Fascism. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. I know what you're thinking. Glenn, you seem more confident today. Yes, well, my friends, that started last night. I applied my new secret weapon for confidence. I call it sweat block. Guess what it does? The sweat block wipes are applied at night and protect you from embarrassing or uncomfortable sweat for days. Here's the best part. It really works. Sweat block was developed by a Harvard doctor who was tired of, you know, getting up front of people with, you know, sweat tacos under his arms. His problem is now our solution. If you're like me and you might not suffer from excessive sweating, but when the lights are on and I'm on stage, the underarm faucets kind of turn on once in a while. It's a lifesaver for your pitch giving, hard 
hardworking, date-going average people a godsend for you Jeffy-like sweaty beast. I mean, I don't know how you... Anyway, if you have an awkward teenager, do them a favor. Arm them with sweat block. Also, try the deodorant stick. Best I've ever tried. Get it all today. 20% off. Sweatblock.com. Promo code Beck. Or at Amazon. All right. So, Stu, I need you to stay with me here. Um, because this is, this is probably a story that no one is paying attention to. And I think it's really important. Japan said that they would be the first Great Reset full adopter. Okay. And that made me curious a few months ago when I found that out. I'm like, hmm, why? Well, I now know why. They are in serious, serious financial straits. They have been for a while. This is, this is not a new problem. This has been going on the decline of Japan since the 90s. Well, I read a story, um, what was it, Thursday or Friday, that the Japanese yen has fallen to its lowest level against the dollar in more than 20 years. This means it takes more yen to buy a dollar. As of Friday, the 22nd, it was more than 125 yen to buy a dollar. Normally, only people who are like trading in currencies actually care about this. But the why behind the crash is why you need to care, okay? Because it could very easily lead to the crash of our treasury bonds. And let me explain. Treasury bond. Our debt. We issue treasury bonds every time our government spends money. And we have trillions of these out. And nobody is buying them. Okay, the days of us living high on the hog and ah, somebody will take this crap. Those days are over. Okay, the the Japanese are the largest holder of U.S. Treasury bonds in the world. They hold more than China, more than any European country, more than any other entity except the U.S. Federal Reserve. Why does the U.S. Federal Reserve own so many treasury bonds? They never did that before. They had to start doing it because no one in the world would, would raise their hand in auction and say, I'll take some of that American crap. Okay? So no one was buying it. So the Fed put trillions of dollars of our debt, and they bought that debt by printing money. Okay? Japan is number two. Japan holds $2 trillion of our debt. Now, the story that I read on Thursday or Friday was that the prime minister had called Janet Yellen and called the president and said, we need a bailout. You got to help us out. You, You have to shore up the yen or we are done. Well, uh, we didn't do that. We said we can't do that, and there's a couple of reasons why we can't. So, with them being the largest holder, they've been, they are, um, they're playing a game here. It's a shell game. The whole world is on this shell game. They have $2 trillion in treasuries, and they're forced to sell those bonds to shore up their currency. This would cause our Fed to print more money to put bill or trillions into buying those bonds, which would now be on the market. 
So inflation could go to 20%. That's the story you'll hear if you pay attention to Bloomberg. But that's, that's just a small part of what's going on. We know that Jap- Japan has the worst demographics in the world. It's the oldest population in the developed world. 3.4 retirees over the age of 55 for every one worker under the age of 30. So that one worker is expected to work to support 3.4 people. So, so nobody's entering the workforce. If you're young, you're not going into the marketplace. The Japanese stopped having kids after the Asian miracle ended in 99 and Japan's economy crashed. Remember the stories where they can't get guys to be even interested in sex. Consider this Toyota and Honda, the two best made best selling brands in the world, right? Testaments to Japanese ingenuity and manufacturing, except the Japanese demographics are so upside down. Virtually no Hondas or Toyotas are actually made in Japan anymore. More than a decade ago, both companies realized they couldn't find any workers, and that's why they're here in the U.S., Indonesia, and the Philippines. These companies were not alone. In the past 20 years, Japan has lost almost its entire manufacturing base. Does any of this sound familiar? Save a few technology sectors like motherboards and microchip, uh, microchips, everything else is not made in Japan. This means their taxable income is gone. And as they move overseas, where labor is available and costs were lower, some of the profits flow home to Japan. But most of the revenue generated stays in countries where manufacturing is occurring. So they had to make up the shortfall. What do you do? They had a plan. They started selling more and more Japanese bonds to cover their deficits between the massive welfare state and the tax base. So they they just started selling bonds. This is where we're at. Japan has the person, the highest personal income taxes in the G7. It also has the highest debt to GDP in the developed world. Our debt to GDP is 130%. That's the highest we've seen since World War II. Japan's debt to GDP is 253%. Okay? That's double ours. So their economy was collapsing. They had to sell bonds. Then they got to the place we are, and they were like, nobody's buying our bonds. So what did they do? Now, remember, this just was stated by uh, the Biden administration as something that is coming our way. What they did, so the country wouldn't collapse, they went and they sold Japanese bonds to investors in Japan at 0% interest. Now, why would a company take something where I'm not going to grow on my money and lock my money into a Japanese bond for 10 years? Why would you do that? Because the government mandated it. If you were a retirement fund, you had anything to do with Japan, you were investing, you had to put a percentage into government bonds. 
So they bought these government bonds, which allowed them to then print more yen. And then what did they do? They took that money and they bought our government bonds, which were returning about 2% interest to them. Now that 2% interest, think of this, that's coming out of your pocket. So we're paying them um, interest on $2 trillion in treasuries is about $40 billion a year. So we're sending $40 billion and that's fine. That's a deal we're, you know, we're buying turtle tunnels. I mean, you know, we need those things. But Japan's entire defense budget is $47 billion. So we are, in effect, funding 40, uh, $40 billion of their $47 billion in defense. But then we also provide about $10 billion a year in discounts for guns and ammunition and everything else. So we are paying 100% of their military. This isn't by accident, and it's not a bad deal, actually. Our government is more than happy to do that because Japan is the most important strategic defense partner when it comes to containing China or defending Taiwan. We have 55,000 U.S. troops stationed in Japan. Japan is the only foreign country in the world out of which the U.S. has permanently operated a U.S. carrier battle group. So, back to the end being in freefall. To keep their bonds at 0% and then make that arbitrage thing work, Japan has to continue to buy its own bonds. But that's through quantitative easing, printing. So they print more yen to buy their bonds um, and anytime the yield goes above zero, they're in trouble. They're creating artificial demand for their bonds. When the, when the yield on the Japanese gov- uh, government bonds went to 1%, 2%, our 10-year bonds would not be able to service that debt. So our bonds... They no longer have the $40 billion for their military, et cetera, et cetera. They have a debt of 253%. It would cost them, uh, it would cost them to pay interest on their debt more than they ever collect in taxes. So to pay to debt, they have to print currency, buy the bonds, buy ours, and we buy theirs, and it just starts all over again because we have to print money. They have to print money. And so it goes into this inflation death spiral. And that's where they are right now. They're at the beginning of the inflation death spiral. So here's the problem with all of this. If they collapse, I mean, really collapse, who can bail them out? We can't. We'll, we're close to a death spiral. So who bails them out? And what happens when next September, President Z goes in front of his, you know, People's Congress and says, okay, everybody vote. I am dictator for life. When that happens and Japan, if Japan is out, 
we are so weak with everything else that is going on. Do you think we're going to save Taiwan? How would we even do that? How would the West protect Australia? By the way, all of this is happening because the Fed said and the Treasury said, we can't bail you out. But what you probably don't know that we reported on um, about three months ago, uh, the Fed did bail the Bank of Japan out. The Fed gave them seven trillion dollars. That was in uh, Q3 and Q4 of last year. We're in Q2. Seven trillion dollars they've burned through already. Prepare for impact. Prepare for impact because it is happening. The reason why they said they'd be number one on the uh, on the boat for the Great Reset is because if we say jump, they are forced to say how high. But we no longer have enough juice to tell anyone to jump because we need all of that juice ourselves. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Welcome to the program, Nikki Haley. How are you? Thank you, my friend. It's great to be yeah. with you. Good to see you. Great to see you. Um, so I want to talk to you about a couple of things. I've got a lot to run through uh, with you. Um, but uh, let's start. Let's just start with the news around the world. What the hell is happening with Ukraine? This does not feel right. It doesn't feel good. It shouldn't feel right. And it shouldn't feel good. Um, you know, this is a bigger fight than just Russia and Ukraine. This is a fight for freedom. And. How we handle this matters. You know, we saw how horrible we handled Afghanistan. We can't continue to have those blunders because when Afghanistan fell, it let every um, corrupt dictator around the world say, this is a weak America. We better move now while we can. And that's what we're seeing happen. Okay, so do you think we should be fighting actually in their fighting americans should not be in their fighting no okay. and and ukrainians haven't asked us to but mm. when you see a freedom loving country trying to protect their own turf we should give them every ounce of ammunition they need we should be pulling in and i'm glad to see nato pulling in their weight because that was hugely important yeah. they need to be giving everything and we all need to go and support zelensky to win this fight on freedom and when he wins no other dictator will try and do this again. okay so um i agree that we should not go in i'm a little concerned that joe biden was saying hey we can't let anybody take these old airplanes because that might rope us into it. And then we're now openly saying, oh, yeah, and we're just leaving them at the bus stop there in Ukraine. I mean, what are we what happened to where it's, it's foolish? Biden's running scared. He's been running scared from the beginning. If he had done sanctions before Putin moved in, we wouldn't have seen this. President Trump had said that we would send them equipment and ammunition in March of last year yeah. when they had already started doing Biden stopped it. We were supposed to send another group in June of last year. Biden stopped it all because he thought it would cause Putin to react. Look at what happens when you don't stand strong. Yeah. If you stand strong before a 
conflict, the conflict never happens. Why does Putin keep saying that we're on the edge of nuclear war? Because he has nothing left. I mean, look. Is that a, is that a, I mean, so does that make him more believable? He doesn't, he doesn't want to die. And he, listen, but at the same time, let's not ignore him. This is a real danger. This is something that's serious. It's why Ukraine needs to win and win strong. If Putin feels like there's a window, he's going to keep going. If we can stop him where he's at, then he'll start to retreat. The key to that is, one, making sure that Ukrainians aren't begging for help, that they get the help that they need, including the planes, including the anti-air defense systems that they're constantly begging for, but also making sure we hit Putin where it hurts. He can't continue a war if he's got the money to fuel it. And we have to sanction the energy companies and Biden still won't do it. Okay, so so there is there was talk last week that after the French election that Europe was going to say no more oil from uh, from Russia. Do you believe that? Is that in the works? I think the U.S. needs to be pushing them that way. There is not an option for them to continue getting oil from Russia. It puts us all in danger for them to do that. Are they going to struggle? Yeah, a little bit. Can we double down and start, you know, exporting liquefied natural gas? Can we help them go and find other avenues to get it, just like Poland and Lithuania are getting it from Australia? Yes, we can. That's what has to happen. It's not. But they're not going to do that. This Biden administration will not release any kind of sanctions, if you will, on our own companies to go and get more liquefied natural gas, to to go get anything, even for our for our own self, we're shipping our own strategic oil reserve to Europe. Because Biden's scared of the climate change people. Like, he's scared of the Green New Deal, pro, um, you know, people that fight for that. And we're seeing it. And it's making America weak. I mean, it's a serious issue what we've got right now. But we can write the ship. That's the biggest thing. I have faith we can write the ship. And that first starts by, do we win these elections in November? But more importantly, What do we do when we win? We have to prove we deserve to be there. So when Republicans take control of the House and Senate, which I am all over the country trying to help candidates, when they take it, what do they do? You don't just say no to Biden. Mm -hmm. What do you say yes to? Mm -hmm. You say yes to making sure that we're exporting more liquefied natural gas, that we're opening up our energy reserves. You say yes to we're going to stop all this wasteful spending. You say yes to the fact that we're going to be strong abroad by having a strong voice against terrorism and all dictators that try and threaten America or say death to America. We can start doing things. You say yes to, yes, we're going to take care of our children's education and we're not going to let all these teachers unions do it. We've got to start saying yes to a lot of things and not just say no to Biden. So how do we say yes to the end of inflation? How is this one going to be solved? Because it we're we're close to the death spiral here on inflation. I mean, Glenn, it's so bad that the average family is spending five to six thousand dollars more a year. Now, when Michael and I were raising our children, if you told us we had to spend five to six thousand more a year, do you know where we get it from? A credit card. Mm-hmm. And do you know what happens to families when that happens? Oh. That's the fear I have is what about these families who are just trying to make it through today? The way you do that is, first of all, yes, we open up our energy sector and we make sure something like that works. But you stop this wasteful spending. Do you know in the last spending package, Republicans and Democrats passed five 
thousand earmarks, totaling ten billion dollars. You want to hear what some of that was? Twelve million dollars for a baseball park in New York. Fifteen million dollars for New Jersey to apply to get the World Cup. Six and a half million for golf courses in Colorado. This is our Republicans and Democrats doing this, Glenn. That is not okay. You can't say and go on TV and scream that inflation is terrible and turn around and co-sponsor an earmark right. and open that back up. Where were our Republicans in this? Why did they allow this to happen? We had stopped earmarks. Well, that's kind of where I am with the Republican Party in whole. I don't see, I see a few um, that are standing up and are fighting the good fight. But then you see people like Mitch McConnell. I mean, uh, you know, you, you've you got to clean out these these federal agencies. Term just, limits, term limits, you, term limits. You have to just clean them out. Well, you're not going to be able to do that if you have a president without the Congress. Congress has to do it. And you could have, you know, control of the Congress with Republicans. But do they even get it? Do you know what else Congress can do? Put controls on our border. They can fix this border crisis. Where is Congress? That's what I'm going to keep saying is we need the fighters. We need those that understand that you have to make so much noise. The people will follow you if you do that. But you can't go on this runaway spending where our debt's more than our economy. Do you know we're having to borrow money to make our interest payments? Oh, yeah, I know. Our kids and grandkids will never forgive us for this. We have got to right the ship for the good of our country, for the good of the world, for the good of the next generation it's it's time for all this to stop so what are the things that you do um you're the founder of stand for america and you go out and you try to promote good policies and also the right candidates you just endorsed sarah palin why a couple of reasons first of all when i was running for governor the first time um, there were five candidates. I started as the fifth out of five, um, had the least amount of money, the least name ID. Um, and I got up to the second position. Um, I was running against a lieutenant governor, a congressman, an attorney general, a state senator. Got up to the second position. And Sarah Palin, without telling her staff, called me the day before and said, her, Todd called and said, we're coming to South Carolina. We're going to endorse Nikki. And she did an, a life pro-life speech in the morning. She did an NRA speech in the afternoon. And she came and endorsed me mm. in the evening and helped push me over the, the deep end. So first, I'll tell you, um, my loyalty to her will always be strong. But secondly, it's because I believe in her. She had a voice that matters. Glenn, she was canceled before we ever talked oh, about know. cancel culture. She was vilified by the media before we ever had all this happen. And she was a great governor. She understood the value of a dollar. She understood what real families went through. And she and I, they called us the rock star sisterhood. We related on so many levels because the establishment denied me. And the resistance didn't think I was cool enough or fit the mold for them. <laughs> and Sarah went through the same thing. And, you know, we need her voice in Congress. I would love to see her walk in the halls of Congress and reminding them of what the Tea Party was all about and how taxed enough already is happening again. I would love for her to talk about what energy, opening up our energy policies yeah. and really doing that. She's the right person. I'd love Where to have her now? back. she in Arizona? Where is she? Sarah? Yeah. She's in Alaska. She's back in Alaska. She's in Alaska. Okay. Um, all right. So who is the, who's the candidate that you have seen that went, that you've said, oh my gosh, 
this is a new breed. You know, I think there's been a few. In the last cycle, it was the Victoria Sparks. It was the... Um, it was the Nicole Maliotakis. It was the Nancy Mace. There were a lot of just fighters, just mm-hmm. had good fighters about them. Now we're seeing different ones in terms of like Morgan Luttrell in Texas, Wesley yeah, Hunt in Texas. Like those were fantastic. Tony Gonzalez in Texas. We just um, did him as well. Monica De La Cruz, we're looking at her hard. You know, There's some really good ones here in Texas, but around the country, we're mm-hmm. seeing some really great ones. Good. And so I just um, endorsed or... Tiffany Smiley in Washington State. You know, a lot of people are throwing Washington State away. If anybody can win in Washington State, it's Tiffany Smiley. And so we're we're not just going after the easy races. We're going after the ones that can really be difficult. It's why we endorsed Jack Cittarelli in New Jersey for governor. He lost by one percentage point. We almost had it. It's why we endorsed Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. It's because we know when we get in there, you got to push these people over the finish line like Sarah Palin pushed me. Because when you see those fighters, when you see those people that can really move the ball, Mm -hmm. that you know they're not just going to bring good policy, but they're going to bring good fight, and they're not going to be afraid to stand up to the establishment, those are the people we want. So I'm sure I disagree with Elon Musk on a lot of stuff. I'd vote for him in a heartbeat. And because he, A, he's Tony Stark. I mean, he's just, he doesn't care. Um, but the the other thing is, is he has a vision of where things are going. You listen to him and then you listen to anybody on television, anybody in Congress or in the White House. And there's no vision there. What do you think about him taking over Twitter? I love it. It's a win for freedom. It's an absolute win for freedom of speech. But what I love is. Elon Musk is not afraid to rattle the cage. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe when you have that much money, you can rattle all the cages you want. I'm grateful for him. And now my question is, who's next? Let's keep going. He kind of said that yesterday. Let's not stop with with him. And you know what? There's there's Facebook. There's Instagram. There's the big media, you know, that we need to go and rattle those cages. Let's do it. And Elon Musk has been the start. Let's not let that be the end. Yeah, I don't think it will be. You know, I was thinking about this morning. We're at the end of that uh, of that cycle, that pendulum cycle. And I think 2024, the pendulum starts to swing back to individual liberty. So we're almost there. Oh, we just have to make it yes. to like 2030. We just have to make it and things will swing back and be good. Let me ask you a question about education, because mm-hmm. we've seen over the past couple of years, COVID, I think, presented with all of its horrible negatives, a unique opportunity for conservatives to communicate what they believe is right when it comes to education in a proactive sense right people saw what was going on they had to they were forced to watch the zoom classes and saw the crazy stuff that was being taught and also that the schools wouldn't open up a lot of conservatives responded to that by saying we got to open these schools up and of course that was the right argument but isn't there more that we can do here isn't this a unique opportunity to talk about school choice and abolish freedom for, for, Abol- for kids? abolish the sec uh, the uh, department of ed yeah, there you abolish go. the department of ed you know but it goes before that right mm. so look at pre-covid pre-covid 65 percent of fourth graders were not proficient in reading mm-hmm. pre-covid 66 percent of eighth graders were not proficient in reading or math Think about that. Incredible. We had a problem before COVID. So don't let them say that COVID brought this on. No, no. We already had a problem with the establishment in education before. So now you go and you look at the fact that in rural South Carolina, where I was born and raised, COVID hits, 
Think of a child where both parents had to work. Here is this kid using a screen he's never used before. Use it by way of a hotspot on a school bus down the street. Now think he's in third grade. What's he learning? Reading? Fractions? Science? Do you think the teachers' unions are going to tell his parents to hold him back? They're not. So what happened after two years of lost education, when we were already behind in math and reading, who is going to stand up for these kids? And then you take it a step further that those kids in rural South Carolina, when all the wealthy families got to put their kids in private schools, where did the rest of the kids go? That's my issue is, one, let's go back and fix what was already broken. You've got some kids. Don't push them through to the next grade. Don't push them through later. If a child can't read by third grade, they're four times less likely to graduate high school. Then we need to open up school choice. We need to open up charter schools. And we need to go put the blame where it belongs, which is on the teachers unions and the Democrats that wanted COVID money more than they wanted to teach our kids. And we have to hold them accountable. So I've been saying lately, if you're a teacher, you can be a great teacher, but if you're a member of the teachers union, I'm sorry, you're part of the problem. You don't have to be a member of that union. Stop. It's exactly right. Your voice will be loud enough without the union. The union is just making money off of you. Yes. The union in California basically made sure that they opened schools for one day just to get the COVID money. One day. What did that do for a child? Nothing, but it got them the money they wanted. We've got to start telling teachers, we want to empower you, but the unions aren't going to be the way to do that. The people are going to be the way to do that. Would you be for abolishing the Department of Education? I think it's completely messed up. We need to bring it down and start it back over. And the way we start it back over is give the states control. Give the states control over. Because Because they already have that. You don't need them to. I don't need an office in Washington, D.C. No, let me tell you, as governor, we did education reform. Every governor in the country could make an impact because what the Department of Education does is says, if you take this money, if you teach this class, we'll give you this much money. If you teach critical race theory, we'll give you this much money. If you teach this, we'll give you this much money. States right now are teaching to the money. They're not teaching to the children. States need to control education. We don't need it controlled from D.C. because one size does not fit all. Right. And the way to do that is to abolish the Department of Ed. No strings. Nobody's answering the phone in Washington, D.C. It's bloated, it's bureaucratic, and it's lost sight of children. Always good to see you. Nikki uh, Nikki Haley, former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, uh, former South Carolina governor and founder of Stand for America, which you can find at StandForAmerica.com. na, na, na.